0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckabillies? What's going on? How are you? Good to see you. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming. I'm Mark Maron. This is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. Hope you're enjoying your day so far. Hope you're having a nice drive or a nice run or perhaps a, a nice uh, bath. Be careful in the bath. If you're listening to me on something that's not a battery-operated device, don't die in the tub while listening to me. Before I get into me, I want to say that I have one of the great uh, psychedelic geniuses on the show. I don't know if he'd like being called that, but a masterful uh, painter of the, the realms of the mind, uh, Robert Williams, the genius painter, is uh, is on the show today. I went over to the Barnesdale Art Park. Where he had a, a basically a retrospective along with some juxtaposed uh, collection, and you know certainly you can look up Robert Williams. He's got a lot of uh, amazing books out of his work, and uh, you know he goes all the way back to Zap Comics, maybe a little before. Dude's been around. He was at he was down here in L.A. with uh, Von Dutch and uh, Big Daddy Roth, making hot rods and doing pinstriping. And he was up in San Francisco with Art Crum and S. Clay Wilson and Spain and the fellas. Doing the panels, and now he does big paintings, little paintings, prints of all kinds. Uh, he's he's an he's an, a very aggressive and profound imagination, and it was a real honor to talk to the dude uh, because uh, his 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 paintings blew my fucking mind. It's always nice when I can get one of the original mind blowers on here. You know, for me, there's only a few. Uh, there's a, a a small Olympus, Mount Olympus of mind blowers that defined how I see the world. Williams came late to me, though I don't think I registered him initially in the Zap Comics as being Robert Williams, but later on, the paintings were like a complete mindfuck, and when I saw them in person, I was uh, 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 excitedly devastated in the best way possible. So Robert Williams will be talking to me. Also, my buddy Nate Bargetsi, one of the funniest humans I know, uh, has got a special coming out. So he stopped by the other day. Uh, we were at Moon Tower together and he stopped by his uh, his hour long Comedy Central special full time magic is uh, on Saturday, May 2nd at midnight. It's 11 central. And me, Mark Marin, the marination tour is extended. We're going to Cleveland, Chicago, Minneapolis, Port Chester, New York, Brooklyn, New York, Huntington, New York, Red Bank, New Jersey, Portland, Oregon and two venues, Boulder, Colorado, Denver, Colorado. You can check out all the dates. They're up at uh, wtfpod.com slash calendar. But I do want to give you a a quick heads up for certain people in certain cities where the pre-sale is uh, happening today until 10 p.m. Uh, That's for the Playhouse Square in Cleveland on June 5th. Uh, You can use the promo code Performer. Um, For Minneapolis, the Pantages Theater on June 7th, promo code Performer. For Huntington, New York at the Paramount Theater on June 27th, the promo code is PULSE. Portland, Oregon on July 10th and 11th at the Aladdin Theater and Revolution Hall, uh, promo code MARIN. Boulder in Denver, Colorado, July 24th and 25th at the Boulder Theater and the Paramount Theater, promo code MARIN. Uh, all the venues are officially going to go on sale tomorrow, May 1st, so again, go to wtfpod.com slash calendar for all the dates. And... Uh, Get involved in those pre-sales. Nate Bargatze and I hung out. Him, myself, Kurt Metzger, Todd Berry, went to get some barbecue at Moon Tower. And old Nate said that he was going to be in town here in, in uh, Los Angeles for a couple of days. And I had not realized he moved to Nashville. He just, under the radar, moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where he grew up. I'm going to talk to him about that right now and about his new special. As I said, that airs uh, this Sunday, May 2nd, full-time magic at midnight and uh, 11 Central on uh, Comedy Central. So, uh, my buddy Nate, stopping by. Nate Bargetzi. How long did it take me to get
1: your name right? A long time. Flavio will still say Bargetzi. Because of me? Oh, no. You called me Nick so, oh, Net, well, the Nick thing, that wasn't that wasn't a real thing. A lot of people call you Nick after that? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, people, like, looked up Nick Bargetti. Yeah, I remember I told you, I said on, like, when you could look at something to, on my website, it was, like, the fourth Nick thing was Nick Bargetti. <laughs> Didn't I correct it? You did, but uh, you said my last name right. Oh, good. Hey, we were just happy to be... Yeah, halfway there? Halfway, yeah. Something yeah, something identifiable that yeah. they could have... I think I told you it would be... You know what? It might be easier for me just to change my name to Nick than try to go. To but was Nick. that before I talked to you? It was right at the beginning. I thought you said it on the Nerdist, like when you did. Oh, it was okay. uh the right after Fence. I met you. Yes. Right, yeah. and we were talking about that, and
0: you thought like your There it is, my big opportunity to get mentioned on go the go. Nerdist podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, fucked it up. I'm just go. I will just going to change my name to Nick. <laughs> That's right. That would be the easier way. <laughs> That's easier. That's less people to tackle than. <laughs> so. So
0: what the hell happened? You were out here in LA living in Where were you living somewhere in Oh, we were way in, down. Like
1: <clears throat> Carson? Carson? Uh, yeah, near Torrance. So you're you're down there in
0: Carson mm. near Torrance yeah. with your new baby. New baby. Driving up into the city to do 10 minute spots. Mhm. And uh and now you're gone. That was it. That was it.
1: Yeah. What happened with the uh <clears throat> with the show with the Fallon uh, produced uh, pilot? We did uh we did it two years in a row, and uh, nothing happened. You they, did scripts. Scripts. Yeah. Sold two scripts, and then wrote them, and uh, neither one of them got picked up, and uh, so now we're here. Uh, we're, did, is that when you decided, sort of like, I don't need to live here? I thought we did it uh, before. I moved in December, Yeah, and uh, I just, I don't know. I get like, well, I'm just like, well, I'm just gonna do it. And uh, I say it was the first thing I've ever done in the... You know, I've been. I'm left Nashville in 13 years, so like so you been, moved back to Nashville. Yes, I okay. moved back to Nashville. It's the first thing I've done in 13 years that wasn't for me. Yeah, everything's always been this. Oh, was, you know, so this was selfless. This was the first selfless thing. I mean, I still now I just leave there. Yeah, you you owed it to your wife and your new child. To give them a chance to, you know, have a life, not have to be in the dicey streets of Carson by themselves, <laughs> like <laughs> while you're while you're out at the Improv. I'm out at the Improv is drinking, hotel, drinking, just you know, be like, life's great, whatever. <laughs> Calling your wife up, going, how's everything? What's going on? Did they catch that guy that shot that guy? <laughs> and then she's like, I don't know, you know. So we heard a guy get shot in our neighborhood.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so, that okay, well, you did the right thing, and now you're not drinking anymore, yeah. you're living in Nashville, you got a house. Got a house. Right down the street from your parents. Yeah. See, that was, but I think on some level that was a, that was a smart move in a selfish way to have the
1: parents nearby, because then you can have some time. I can Take go. the child. Yes. yes. We can give her, my mom comes over- And, and they're happy I'm, to, right? Grandparents. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of, uh, my brother has four kids, and my sister has a kid, so like- all the cousins and stuff and one of our uh one one of my nieces is uh like nine months older than my daughter so they're like best friends yeah and so them being around and she's going to all these birthday parties and you Uh, know i mean she's like you know instead of just being her and my wife down in carson carson hold up hold up and uh now we're you know and I got I stay at uh I got a room out here that you I do? can come to. Well my buddy has an extra room downstairs. Oh really? I noticed you have an extra room. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can stay in there with the records. With <laughs> the
0: records. Can, yeah, there's a bed up against the wall. You just saw like, it. it's, it's like not, a Murphy
1: bed? It's like a Murphy bed that just covers the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even hooked into it? No, huh? just, it's a mattress. I, I. It's a promotional thing. It's I, like the first idea for a Murphy bed. Yeah. Like, the, the same yeah. guy walks in the and goes, guy, what if you put that in the wall? Go oh. with me. Yeah, <laughs> That's how Murphy beds <laughs> store Yeah. So what's Nashville? What's the plan, man? The plan is, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what the plan is. I was, I was very nervous about even. I was trying to move and not tell anybody. Really, that was the idea. Because you're embarrassed, you were ashamed. I was embarrassed. I think you still feel that everybody thinks you're gonna, you just quit comedy. Oh yeah, you're out of the game. You're out of the game. You're done. Give up. Yeah, ran away. You still have that mentality, so I just literally did it and didn't tell anybody. I think i when I talk
0: to you at Moon Tower, you're still you're sort of still in this justifying period. You're like, hey, you know, show business is in Nashville. Uh, yeah. the My my agent has an office there, though they primarily
1: deal with country musicians. Like you, you didn't give me what I wanted out of it either. <laughs> like you, me, you want everybody just to be like, yeah, dude, I think that's so smart that you did it, and I don't think I got that from you. I got like. Oh yeah, then <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just like, oh boy. No,
0: we I think it. it's great. Yeah, you're 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 a comedian that that has a, a career in comedy. Mm-hmm. You decided that it's a good idea to turn your back on show
1: business yeah. and move to Nashville and, and engage that show business. Well, they all everybody every time I'd go to meetings, they all think I live in Nashville anyway. Like I would go like just because of my. Yeah, center. If I say something, right. And like, they're just assume I live there. Now, what are yeah. you going to do though? what say, how are
0: you going to infiltrate? What's the plan? Are you going to? Are you going to be the next generation of the of blue like blue collar guys? Well, I, I didn't want to say it. Yeah, but no, it, it's out
1: there. I mean, it's you know, it's already out it's there. Out there. No, 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 it's not out there. No one's. You, if
0: you just get one of those blue collar guys to go out with you on tour, do you? Ha- are you in contact with any of those fellas? Uh,
1: some, some, yeah, yeah. I've you talked, talked to Ball. Uh No, I've never talked to Foxworthy. I golfed. uh in Nashville, Larry the Cable Guy was golfing in front of us. Who? Larry the Cable Guy. Oh, yeah, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I told him, I said, you can tell. I go, I can tell how long someone's been in comedy is if they refer to you by Dan. <laughs> yeah. And then I know that <laughs> they've been around for a while. I remember him at the comedy store briefly. Yeah. He's he was a good guy. He, he was the nicest dude in the world. Yeah. And uh, real cool. And it looked, it's funny. Uh, so I'm a big Vanderbilt fan, which is the school in Nashville, yeah. and I did not go there. And so we took a... My dad, we took a picture with me and him, and he, he's- You uh, and, Larry the the and Larry the Cable guy. Larry the Cable guy, and it's, uh, he is uh, all Nebraska. Uh-huh. He's a big Nebraska fan, and so uh, he's got all Nebraska stuff on, camouflage, dressed just like you would expect him to be dressed. I'm wearing all Vanderbilt stuff. So it almost looks like if the South is trying to create, if they're trying to create a new Larry the Campbell guy, and their their idea is like, we want to use, look, we're going to go, his school in 7 Nebraska will be Vanderbilt. will be a smart school. And people are like, well, that, you know, I don't know, that could turn people off. You're like, here's the thing. He did not go there. That's, that's the <laughs> That's twist. the hook. That's the hook that gets them in <laughs> to go. You think, how's oh, this guy a smart guy? No, 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 no. no. He is far from it. And just where is all the Vanderbilt stuff? So this special is one. It's 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 on Comedy Central. Yes, this Saturday, May second, which is the night of the mayweather Pack so the, fight. So the, the Comedy Central special is on this Saturday. You can you, know, you can buy it May fifth. So uh, have you gotten to know your daughter at all? Uh, we have crossed paths at the house, <laughs> and uh, she's, she's how old? Seen, uh, two and a half. She'll be three in yeah. July uh she it went from like the first at the very beginning i remember once we were home we would see we'd go home for nashville too like sometimes for like a month like i was going to be on the road it was just easier to go home yeah and uh we'd stay at my parents and uh so i remember one time i was packing and she started packing like her mini mouse suitcase and was like oh i'm going with daddy you know and that was brutal because it was like, you know, that would hurt. But now, it's actually brutal for me because she's almost fine with it. Yeah. Now, I come home for like, you know, uh, I, I was in New York and then I went home for a day. Then I flew out to Austin and uh, uh, here. And so, I've been gone for like two weeks besides one day. And she's just kind of like, you know, she's she's happy to see me. And then just kind of like, all right, see you. You know? That's worse. Yeah. So, you going on the road this week? She says, yeah. Did she say that? No. No. Uh, <laughs> She goes. She goes, Are you featuring? or Are you headlining? And I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, this weekend headline. You know, I'm probably do some guest spots, but like, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Like, uh, but she,
0: but you know, that probably has more to do with the fact that she has more friends around. She has more friends, and they. I think it uh, gets to a point where they don't really like you or care about you. Yeah, we Facetime. Facetime's big. How how long does that last though? Yeah, I mean, it,
1: uh, we're Facetime for a little bit. Like, it's not. We're yeah. pretty good at like, uh, you know, you don't want to keep anybody awkwardly. Yeah. Like where it's like okay. Like,
0: yeah. you know, where your daughter, your two year old daughter says, uh,
1: "Okay, Daddy, yeah. I'm done. All right, good she luck just, with everything." I just see her moving her hands, like he <laughs> just all right. He just keeps yeah, he keeps <laughs> he's going to, he's and to going. Your wife, she's like, yeah, just she's yapping. going just yeah. oh, non-stop. nonstop. All right, you're on the road. Yeah, I almost like the idea too. I wanted to move and like almost see if anybody would know. Yeah, just to be like who would know? To prove a point no one would know because we don't ever see anybody right because we're either you're on the road or you go to your spot and you're right. done like i'd have to go if i want to go see you i have to go find you we got to be at a festival we have to be at a festival yes and well, you can just go do it Well, that's well that's i think it's gonna be good are you gonna I hope um, it's good well i had this whole idea i wasn't telling anybody and then here we are now so making everybody. the announcement for the special what's the special called full-time magic full-time magic yeah Oh, it's uh, based on your dad. Yeah, now, your dad's right. out there doing the magic. He's doing, the, he goes on the road. Did you grow up with him going on the road? Yeah, he went on the road all the time. Uh, I don't know if I ever, like, put it together. I don't think I pay attention to details of things. To your parents, because you got your own life to live. Yeah, but I, yeah, and I don't like, and now when I think back, it's like, I just would be like, I don't know, like, he just wouldn't be like a baseball game. You're like, I don't know, why is he not here? You know, yeah. and then it's like, now I'm like, oh, he was like, do a magic yeah, somewhere good. God knows what, yeah what kind yeah. of gig he was having to do like Does, in the 80s like just some <laughs> awful road gig and I'm just like he should have came to my game I don't know why he didn't come yeah, to my yeah, game yeah. he didn't come to your game because he's somewhere going like is this your card <laughs> yeah yeah he's somewhere doing that yeah. he didn't come watch me I don't know not grow make it up. in baseball yeah
0: <laughs> you didn't make it in
1: baseball because
0: he was out there you know pulling coins out of people's hair yeah out of their ears <laughs> yeah. my yeah.
1: son is, is fatherless and wayward he wasn't gone. He had a regular job. He taught. He was a teacher, too. Oh, that's right. So, he... Uh, does he do tricks for your kid? Mm-hmm. They they like it, and he uh, does stuff for all our nephews and nieces. He'll do parties if they're family? Yeah, yeah. People still ask me, uh, they'll be like, hey, well, you?" they want to get my dad to be a clown, because he started as a clown, Yeah. and uh, they wanted him to be a clown for like their part, you know. And so you people- have to like tell them, like, guys, he's not he doesn't do that anymore you know what still, I mean it's almost like it yeah it's, if someone wants but you to come hey we come do some time these are people you grew up with yeah like, now they have kids and being like hey could we hire your dad like yeah yeah he's yeah he would still love it. like they just picture that he doesn't move up at all it's like if you have someone a friend that will be like you know you're doing you're doing this great you got yeah. your own show on TV and still be like hey could you do some time maybe at my wedding and yeah. you're like I don't, I don't, I don't do mean, yeah it's not what I do anymore you know
0: I don't even know you that well
1: yeah yeah <laughs> But all right, I mean, how much time do you want me uh, to do it? And then right. you do it? And then you do it. Right. Get... Well, that's so weird about people that they're so much in their own heads. How are they going to know
0: that? I mean, yeah. they might not even know you're where you're at. They'll just see you around town and be like, is your dad still,
1: because we got kids who to have a birthday party. Yeah, you know what my biggest, one of my biggest things when you mentioned being me rolling stone? Yeah. That was one of the first things that I felt, and I already did a few late nights and all that. Right. And that was the first thing where I felt like people like, oh, were like, pretty like This guy's wild. a guy? Yeah, no, they were just impressed. Oh, like good. friends. Like yeah, yeah. high school friends were like that was like a Oh yeah? Yeah. That was like a oh wow. So the special's an hour? An hour. That's another one people don't know. They're like uh, You tell them Like I'm doing an hour And they're like Oh you didn't you already do that You're like No that was a Comedy Central presents Half nope. <laughs> hour And you're You know It's like I'm, This is like Much more time than that And harder to get And they're like Oh I, yeah okay like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> They don't know the they, Oh man They don't they, I don't know what you have to do You have to be Seinfeld Before someone will be like Okay That's exactly he's right He's made it That's exactly the truth that is the worst part about what we do.
0: Is that even my parents? It doesn't matter. They, my my father would be like, you know, you should maybe call Bill Maher, ask him how he did it. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing. It's going. Cool, yeah, but they. But if you don't enter the culture like with like
1: like everyone knows you. Yeah, where then, they even if you don't want to know. Yeah, they know. But you're pretty far. I mean, I don't know <laughs> how. Like, it's crazy. I think my mom's the one that said that. She's like, didn't you already do one? And then I, I got really mad at my mom, who's so supportive. <laughs> but I was like, so she didn't like, understand. Yeah, I was so like, I was like, are you? I was like, are you serious? That was a half hour. Yeah, this I'm is like, a full that, hour. I was like, this is a full. You think they just hand these out? Yeah, I'm like, do they? Yeah, they, it's pretty easy okay. to get, to be honest. <laughs> sick. So, all right. So, we'll watch the special, and it's good to see you. Yes, thanks for... How, yeah. long, how long are you in town for? just Till a- Friday. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, You know, Hollywood stuff. I don't know, meetings. I'm doing Met at midnight. You've done that before. Mm-hmm. we did it. I Me mean, you did it. Oh, yeah. that's right. It was a big day. I won, yeah. didn't I? Or yeah. no, I didn't. You and Natasha. Did Natasha win? I think Natasha. I got wins. knocked out. Oh, that's right. That was sad. I felt bad for you. Oh, I was out of there. It was immediately. You, it's at the end that happened. Yeah, it's at the end. And then y'all stay. And then and then you, the light goes out on you. Yeah, they make it a red light. Really, yeah. like, just like.
0: It was sad, man. I think a lot of people were upset by it. It was a shakeup. By up. Megan yeah. wasn't yeah. good. Uh, it, it looked like it was uh, anti-Southerner.
1: Well, a lot of stuff is, you know. Yeah, I know. So well, that's it's that's, all coming back. That's your journey,
0: though, is to to bring back the the pride to get the civil war started back up. Sure. Well, I don't know if that's a good. That, it seems like it's already starting. Uh, well, <laughs> around you know. the country, I think what you're trying to do can is only hand the, out so many flyers. You know. Bridge the gap. Yeah,
1: yeah. Between us, yeah. you know, yeah. highbrow. I come in condescending. Going, I know what y'all are doing. Yeah. I know what we're doing. Yeah. Honestly, we're all on the same page. <laughs> We're all doing the same thing. You just have to listen. You just talk differently. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. yeah stop projecting. Uh, we will the, the Go the, attack Manhattan and L.A. Yeah, they're the only two different people. And then you know you just infiltrate with a bunch of you talking the
0: way you do with your sort of a uh, homespun wisdom. Mm-hmm. And and we'll all come around. Yeah. All I right. Could, yeah. That's the ad- that's the agenda.
1: Yeah. That's that's gonna be my next well, special. All
0: right, Nick. Well, it's great talking, <laughs> yeah. to you.
1: Nick Bargazzi, full time magic.
0: Nate Bargatze, Full-Time Magic. All right, buddy. I'll talk Thanks to you for doing it, buddy. Again. Love that guy. Watch that special, Full-Time Magic. Saturday, May 2nd at midnight, 11 Central. I think it airs again right after. So, Robert Williams, man. I think that I'm, I'm sort of hung up on the idea. You know, the different identities that we go through, the different personas we try on not maybe maybe not personas but whatever you can get away with with your attire whatever that implies the first time and the only time I was in rehab was back in uh, 88 maybe 87 and in there there was a dude named Milo and I don't know if Milo made it I don't know where he's at or whether he's alive but you know he came in Pretty whacked out of his mind uh, from staying up too long on some substance, doing dope and doing coke and doing speed balls and hearing the voices and keeping guard uh, just in case someone wants to steal your brain. That kind of stuff. Quietly uh, sweating in the shed, you know, waiting for some shit to go down because the dispatch was was made if you understand what I'm saying. But I got close to Milo, and he was a hardcore dude. And Milo had the uh, a goatee before goatees were happening. But this was not the standard goatee that goes along with the the bro shirt or the acid wash pants uh, with the elaborate pockets. Uh, no, this was a, a goatee that went along with a bike, a motorcycle, and maybe a little jail time, maybe not. But he was a hardcore motherfucker and he smoked Lucky Strikes. And, you know, when I was in rehab that first time, I was pretty shattered. Uh, whatever personality I had had become uh, a bit fragmented, a bit wobbly, uh, was fragile to begin with. So I remember in when I was in uh, was I was in rehab, I listened to Milo tell stories. And then he had a carton of Luckies and I was smoking those Luckies until they hurt my fucking... My fucking lungs. I take his luckies. I buy a pack of my own because I want to be like him. And then I I grew out after after uh, after rehab. I grew out the uh, the the Fu Manchu thing, but not. It was before they were hip or cool. This is the, the late '80s. So you know, I was going for the hard look. I'd pull my hair back into a, a longish ponytail, and I had my round glasses on that were tinted all the time. And I had my uh, my jailbird biker goatee. And I wore my long trench coat and I was about what? How old was I? About 25 years old. And I think I was wearing the Milo costume for a while because I thought it made me look like I, could, I had been places. And I had. I had. I had lost my mind. But I'd never been to jail. I never rode a bike. And I don't think I could kill a man. But I think that my beard looked like it could at that time. Why did I tell you that story? Because there's something about what Robert Williams sort of represents about the 60s, about hot rods, about motorcycles, about cars, about speed, about, you know, unleashing your imagination, about that darker part of the 60s that sort of I believe I always aspired to. And through the Milo costume, I believed I had been there. Eventually, I shaved it and uh, took me about. A decade or two to get straight with who I was. But I think I'm here now. I got I to gotta tell you, I was nervous to interview Robert Williams because he was intimidating to me. I went to his uh, opening. I met him briefly there. My buddy Coop, Chris Cooper... Uh, the poster artist and painter uh, is a big fan, obviously, and very influenced by Robert Williams and his personal friend. And he facilitated an introduction at the opening. I met him, and uh, Robert, in my mind, very quickly dismissed me, and I, I projected a lot onto that. I just, I just didn't think I was hard enough or serious serious enough, or you know, like the real deal enough for him to even register. I, I gave him, I projected that gift on him that he could judge me thoroughly through to my soul. Uh, that quickly, but I, I was nervous when so I, I met him over at the gallery where he uh, did the show, where his art was hanging. Uh, he was with his wife, who uh, who was not in the room. We were in the office there, so you might hear a phone ringing occasionally. Um, and I, you know, I was intimidated, and you know, I I, I really wanted to to have a, a good conversation with him because I I, uh, I I do respect his uh, his work. So here is me. <laughs> Trying not to be nervous with Robert Williams. I'm a a tremendous fan of yours, and I have been for a long time.
2: You could do worse.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had a, the two wives ago, uh, the woman that became my first wife worked at Shafrazi when in.
2: Really?
0: Yes. And I remember like having, knowing that you were there and going to see the things. The first time I saw the canvases in person, I had only seen them in books. Yeah. And there's that moment where you know you see someone's work outside of a book, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Like the the layers of work that that went into those paintings and all your paintings, I just, I couldn't believe it. It was like mind blowing to me to see it live. Yeah, is that a, is that an odd thing to hear?
2: No, 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 it's not because there's. It's, there's uh, when you see a, a painting in reality. There's there's a certain disappointment and, and also a certain pleasure in seeing it. A, pr- a printed formalizes it. Yeah. You know and when you right. see it, when you actually see it, you can actually see hand strokes and suffering and energy and thought into
0: something. You know when you see the painting. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's exactly the whole texture of the thing. Yeah. Now, like in in terms of your like styles of 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 how you painted, it it was much more laborious at a different point in time, right? In terms of the techniques you use. Well,
2: uh, I've never been lucky enough to find the easy way out on these things.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I've I've always in my mind think, well, I better find some shortcuts, but on the other hand, I think, well, uh, here's a nicer way to do it, and that nicer way to do it is always more time-consuming. And, and,
0: like, what was the nicest way you found where, well, where it was uh, taking well, you to,
2: to get the better effect? Yeah. I say, sure. I say, well, this, this will give a remarkable effect. And hell, that's another two or three days doodling around with that, you know? Right, right. So it's a, kind of a losing game. It's, it's not a rational person's uh, occupation.
0: But I mean, obviously, you have to be somewhat uh, obsessed with it. I I mean, in order to do it, I mean,
2: it's more than obsession. Yeah, it's more than obsession, and and it's more than fulfillment. It's uh, it's like your worth. Yeah, you know, it's like when I was young, I wanted to be a slick artist and be a big operator. Yeah, be a hip dude. Yeah, attract the chicks and everything. Sure. I did an immense amount of studying of uh, technical painting tomes and books and whatnot on technique and things from back from the 1850s on to modern times, and I memorized all these color combinations and what paintings were transparent, and what paintings weren't transparent, and whatnot. And uh, my ego projected me into learning this stuff, but then as I got into the realities of selling the stuff and finding even a venue that would dare show the stuff. I, uh, I think it was kind of kind of at odds there but by this time by my time of my late 30s the painting owned the, the skill owned me it was right. no longer me trying to be a slick egotist yeah you know um, uh, the, the the practice every day and the habits and the mixing the paints owned me and I could do it automatically see? right right yeah yeah so i was left with uh you know, I got I uh, got this thing I've developed here, and uh, I'm not getting any recognition. But on the other hand, uh, nobody else seems to be able to do it, and uh, and I, I'm not going to do anything else. You know, and at it, the same time, I was doing comic books too. I was involved in Zap Comics, sure. And my same problem developed there. I got into uh, spending too much time in the comic books. Uh, a good comic book artist would do at least a page a day, and it was taking me a week a page. You know, so I just. Uh, there's like something wrong with my um, mental value of uh, being practical and rational. There's but wasn't no it problem a problem there? A
0: perfectionism, though, really, right? I mean, you had a process. Yeah, you know?
2: yeah. Um, but I I'd caught on real early on what Salvador Dali said: if uh, uh, if you're looking for perfection, forget it; you'll never find it. You know. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but
0: is that an, in, But is that something you can actually do intellectually? I mean, if you're wired to say like, "Well, this isn't quite good enough." I mean, you're never, you're never going to get around that. Well, <clears throat> let,
2: let, let, let me
0: point this out to yeah. you. If you're a young artist,
2: say you're 10 or 12, and you're just taking art classes at school, and you sit down to a canvas or a drawing, <clears throat> you have an idea, there's a chance that when you get through with that project that it's going to be maybe 25% of what you in- intended and you do project after project, and it'll probably be about twenty-five percent of what you intend, unless it's a tic-tac-toe or something, sure, sure, you know, sure, <clears throat> or a stick figure. Yeah. So when you get to be in your late teens, your early twenties, and you start into college, you know, and you you get up to maybe forty, forty-five percent. But by this time, you've learned to keep your mouth shut, and let, when you get a piece of artwork done. You give the impression that this was what, what exactly your total right. intention was. <laughs> yeah. so you learn to yeah. shut your mouth, right? You know? Right. But you're still hitting about forty-five. You know? <clears throat> right. Yeah. Okay. You get you, you get into your late twenties and your thirties, and you sit down to do a piece of artwork, and you got it in your head. Well, that's that's going to be if you're pretty slick. That's going to be about sixty or sixty-five percent. Right. Right. Now I'm an old man. I'm seventy-two and I can hit about 80% now. Right. I have an idea, and I sit down to do it. Right. But I don't tell people that. Say. No. I tell them, no, it's a 100-pointer. Ever lick was intended. Yeah, right. That's just the nature of genius. Sure, you know.
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Now, when I first met you, it was interesting, because I, I, I didn't know if I, I'd put you off or not, because I, I met you with Coop, who, who has also done this show and who I'm friends yeah. with. and he's the a first, good friend, too. He's a, he's a great guy. And, and and the first thing I said to you was, like you know I grew up in Albuquerque. And, and you said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> you, you, you grew up in Albuquerque. I did, and I thought, like, well, wow. this is a surefire way to connect with the dude well. in, in in a, in a heartbeat and, and make an impression. But you were like, uh, "Oh, boy!" No,
2: yeah. no, that no, you, you misread that. N- you, you yeah, you misread oh, that. Yeah. just uh, you're you're a lot younger than me, and I wonder what your life was like in Albuquerque compared to mine. You know? Yeah, well, what was I, left? was I was there in the forties and fifties. So. I
0: can't imagine, man. So, what was there? Like were well, mo- and- well, there was Kirkland Air Force
2: base and there's three Air Force bases. Yeah. There were Sandia, right. Kirtland and Manzano. Right. My mother said it perfectly when I was a little kid. She says, "Watch out for Albuquerque, cuz it's still a frontier town." And uh-huh. she couldn't have said it better. Uh-huh. Because between of uh, criminal activity on the street and the brutal police department, you know, you Still. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I was in fights and in jail all the time in Albuquerque.
0: How would you end up there?
2: You, you, you mean in fights or in jail? No, in Albuquerque. Well, I was born there. Yeah. I was born there in 43. My parents were married and divorced four times. My father was from the Deep South, so I was going back and forth from Alabama, Georgia, um, Florida, back to Albuquerque. Yeah. I don't know. So I come up from not only a, a broken home, but a, like a terribly uh, torn apart home.
0: And over and over again.
2: Over and over again. <laughs> With the same characters. And my, m- yeah, my father had a, a sizable amount of money, he was fairly wealthy. What and was his so j- racket? My father uh, had the largest drive-in restaurant in the world that serviced 100 cars at one time. and it had its own theater and its own radio station. Where was this? Montgomery, Alabama. Wow. And his good friends were Hank Williams and Gene Krupa and a lot of people, you know.
0: They uh, came through and and well, hung he knew now Hank again. Williams very well. And you remember him as a kid? Oh yeah, <clears throat> um,
2: and but then when I go back to Albuquerque, yeah, yeah I'm just totally broke, you know. Right. So I went from this one lifestyle to the other, you know. And then in Albuquerque, he was a, a real uh, reality check, you know, uh, fighting continually and getting in trouble and. Uh, I don't know. I have developed a lot of character in me, but on the other hand, my father was a military man and he sent me to a strict military school so I was I, 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 I was raised with this in this inferiority complex. It had to be uh it had to face up to Nietzsche. You know? Yeah. the yeah. only i the only way I was going to get out of my inferiority complex is start Nietzsche in it, you know. <laughs> okay, go go. So yes, yeah, I had to stand up to Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and grit my teeth. Yeah you know and fight these guys on the street and get my ass kicked and whatnot but it happened time after time you know
0: when, when you were in, were in albuquerque what high school did you go to i went to highland high i went to highland high i graduated from highland high i'm sorry i, I was... didn't <laughs> <laughs> i was thrown out right behind the highland theater yeah right there
2: do you, do you remember that uh, that bowling alley over by the highland high
0: i don't know if it was there when i was there if it was still there was there.
2: a rumble there with over 300 people, and they were in there throwing. I was involved in it, and they were uh, really they were throwing bowling balls. Pachucos went in there throwing bowling balls, and there was knife fights, and people were stabbed. And, oh, so it was, was the
0: a, the Pachucos, which later became the Cholos. Well, we used to call them Chukes. There was, right.
2: There was the Stomps, which were the cowboys, and then there was the Chukes. What were you? I was kind of a, well. I ran with both of them, really. Right. You right. Know, right. Kind of,
0: you can move through. All fields.
2: Pathetically. <laughs> pathetically. But well, you must have been a funny I'm, guy. Uh, well. Usually it's a I sense my, of humor I, that I had my through. antennas out, you know. I was, yeah. a, I was a young kid that learned real quick. You know, I'd walk down, when I'd walk down the street, I'd always look two blocks down. Yeah. Learned real quick. You know, walk down the street, look two blocks down. Because you might want to cross the street.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, there's, well, there's three of them. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So what was that? Well, one? I, I, I don't want to go in. I, I have so many of these vulgar street scene stories that could fill a book let's, let's go on about the
0: art okay. i I'm, I'm completely willing okay. to do that where did uh, like i saw a picture of you uh and i don't remember where maybe it was in the malicious uh that that collection that big book what was it malicious with Splendid? yes of you at the albuquerque state fair yes and you know i was sort of obsessed with the state fair you know i was obsessed yeah. with I, the,
2: I i worked there as a concessionaire and when that fair when that carnival moved i went with it
0: and what were you doing?
2: Pitch them in, win them out, take home some dishes. You know? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, mean, I played the cigarette game and a number of games. I'm, I'm
0: I've always been obsessed with, like, uh, like, after I saw, I had a book called Very Special People, you know, and, uh, and then uh, it, it, I was obsessed with the anomalies, human, fr- with freaks. And I remember going to the state fair to see Ronnie and Donnie well no, see, that's after my time. See, sure, I sure, was.
2: Right the, I, I saw freaks. There were there was freaks in the ten and one show when I was there that I saw back in the early fifties.
0: Right. You know, because yes. I feel like in... Eco and
2: Iko, the sheep men from
0: Labrador, Johnny Ick. Uh, Johnny Ick was still around. Yeah, and you saw those guys. And the yeah, reason I bring up, I talked up, to him. I, I, I traveled with them. You traveled with Johnny Ick and other characters. Yeah, yeah. too. yeah. And because I have to, uh, have to believe that that informed your, your eye somehow.
2: Absolutely. The tawdry side of cultures always fascinated me. It's always seemed romantic to me. It was like, seemed like the kind of thief society that was in Hunchback and Notre Dame. Right. You know? and it's a very, very dangerous world to function in as the lower classes in the criminal classes. And I was always attracted by the romance of petty criminals and I, later I understood what my problem was. was It wasn't really that I had these criminal tendencies. It was just that I was in a small town like Albuquerque that d- hadn't developed a full Bohemian community. wasn't there. It was, it was very small around the uh, University him. of New Mexico. Right. I was always in trouble with the police and whatnot. And then uh, i I I'd become a, a, a chess hustler at, around University of New Mexico and I was just a kid,
0: but you were compelled towards that scene you're looking for the, Yeah, uh, the I, artists I, the I
2: very much involved myself in the, in the beatnik movement in the late 50s
0: you did <clears throat> Yeah in New
2: Mexico there wasn't like a true literary beatnik world that we think of the Orthodox, but there was uh, an urban beatnik world that had created all over the United States from seeing sorry movies like well not sorry movies but questionable Hollywood interpretations of the beatnik culture right one of them was the beat generation Mm -hmm. the other one that I remember standing out really a lot was Bell Book and Candle with Kim Novak Mm -hmm. so those kind of set the pattern for the United States of America to have a a beatnik idea of how to conduct themselves Mm -hmm. I was very very I mean I was Fifteen, sixteen—very much into that world. You know? And were you we hung were you out do- of coffee shops,
0: and sure, smoke marijuana. And, and were you doing uh, art at that point? I was always doing some kind of art. What was going on? How? Where did it start? Mm-hmm. Where did you start defining yourself or knowing yeah. that that was where you were going?
2: Well, before I had a developed memory, my parents would sit me down on a big roll of butcher paper with crayons, sure. you know, and I just take off. You know? <laughs> yeah. I did uh, a big red skeleton bone for bone, and it was red skeleton, the uh, comedian. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I was just out of diapers, and then there was a pop song called "The Devil in My Darling's Eye," and I did a big eye with a devil in it. You know, and I am just a little bitty baby. Mm-hmm. And in I think the fifth grade, uh, they selected about six of the gifted kids, six or eight of the gifted students, to do a mural at the end of the hall. Mm-hmm. All these young, talented children would do their efforts, and then I'd draw back and look and see a thing here, and a thing here, and a thing here, and I'm the only one that could go up there and do a landscape tying them all together. I could only, Guy <laughs> right. could unify yeah. it. So I really didn't get to do my little thing. My thing was unifying, and you know, if something's big, I'd put it on a hill close, big, and something small, you know, I could have yeah. perspective, understand, to stage things. So. Uh-huh. so I had that innate uh, ability.
0: So when did you, like when, when the beatnik thing started happening, did you have some sort of aesthetic that you were gunning for? Like you wanted to be part of? Well,
2: um, I real
0: early on was taken with surrealism.
1: Right.
2: Really young. And I presumed that the, the, the beatnik thing, it was part and parcel of that. But I, what I, didn't, I didn't have a real good grasp of the time of what abstract expressionism was. Where would you developed. see surrealism? first it was uh, the book omnipresent it was sure. ubiquitous it's in books and whatever dolly what mostly yeah mostly yeah. dolly yeah. then that of course you know um, dolly was a johnny come lately and then he was thrown out he was kind of parasited off surrealism and they got the whole name of surrealism you know and yeah. then they kicked him out and that's yeah. still run off with the name of surrealism to right. this day you know
0: yeah well he lived to make bank that guy he did yeah he did. He
2: was an operator. Yeah. No doubt about it. He should have been a wrestling promoter. He looked <laughs> like one in a way. He was enormously talented. Yeah, but yeah. A rich, rich imagination. He had a carny sort
0: of disposition.
2: You know, I, I, I went to a lecture and there was this gal that, that knew him personally. And mm-hmm. she said that when you were with him just around the house or something, he talked perfectly normal. But when he got around a bunch of people, he started affecting that exaggerated accent.
0: right. right yeah why not put on a show yeah so all right so you're in Albuquerque did you ever know like, a guy named Gus Blaisdale by any chance no, no no he owned a bookstore later I just don't even I don't even know when he got there well
2: I'd left in 63 and I kind of burned all my bridges so. you left running well it was a good thing I did get out I yeah. probably ended up in Santa Fe prison a lot of my friends did in oh, up really Santa Fe prison yeah
0: do you still have friends in New Mexico <laughs>
2: just relatives just oh yeah relatives. a few hot rod buddies I, when I go back to Albuquerque I see a few hot rods. is buddies. that
0: when you first started doing hot rods no
2: no I first started when I was in Alabama in 1955 at 12 years old I got my dad to buy me a 34 Ford coupe yeah so I, I was home to the hot rods way early I started reading hot rod magazine about 53 so that was
0: like that was in your consciousness that was something that drove you literally that's right and because, like, you know, one thing I was like when I started going through stuff today, the intensity of no, no matter how long it, it may take you to, to to paint one of your paintings, I mean, the intensity and the velocity, of the thing coming at you in all the ways that it comes at you, there, it, you know, there's no avoiding it, and there's there's almost a speed to it. Well, what I do,
2: I have to kind of disregard the the concept that this is going to be a. a a decoration in a house i i, I see my paintings closer to literature than i do to uh, well yeah
0: there's, the titles to, are to, to, literature
2: to, you know uh if if you if you have a sophisticated home and you have a coffee table with uh, classic books on it to show people how intelligent you are you'd have like maybe war and peace or two years before the mast or tales of two cities and just um, re- really interesting literature but it, it, as long as it's sitting on the coffee table and the pages are closed, it's okay. Because there's stuff in there that would make your hairline recede. That sure. would uh, create diarrhea in children. Uh, yeah. So, but um, unfortunately, art has to be tamed and knocked down because it's, people can just look right at it. And that, that, that's a really a sad thing that uh, you know, literature is allowed to totally eclipse graphics and you know comic book has um, kind of challenged that. That comic book is one of the most important things of the 20th century. Fifty years from now, you look back on the 20th century, and you'll see that the cartoon dominated the art world. The Forever. cartoon was the most from the important. the beginning. It was the most important thing of the
0: 20th century. Well, it was the first time I ever saw people having sex. Like, they, like uh, you know. I
2: agree with you. I've got some examples in this show here, yeah. those eight-page Bibles. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 1951. I was... Eight years old, and some kid showed me one of them eight-page Bibles that he stole from his dad. and I'm looking at that, and ah, that's how that works. Exactly, that's how that
0: works. The first time I saw it was a Spain picture, like it was. A, it was in an underground comic collection mm-hmm. of two <clears throat> bodies in space, with and they're having <clears throat> sex. And I was like, that's how it
2: worked <clears throat> And then about the, a few years after that, yeah. someone showed me a pornographic photograph at a baseball game. And the, the fellow was a, a, an ex-GI that just was stationed in Japan, and he came back and he had these pictures of these Japanese people in the act of sexual intercourse. And that didn't look interesting to me at all. That didn't look interesting to in me at all, seeing this guy's buttocks on top of another woman, right. on top of a woman. it just I, That
0: wasn't as good as the eight-page Bible. Eight right. Pages, yeah. <clears throat> well, when you, uh, when you set out, to, you left Albuquerque to come here and, and study art practically? Uh, yeah. Yes, and where was the first place you studied
2: I came out here to go to Los Angeles City College because it was only six dollars and fifty cents a unit See, so uh, I spent two years at Los Angeles City College and I was nominated for the Dean's List and I did um,
0: what were you working on specifically just uh, learning technique
2: yeah sculpture and painting and they the college newspaper there the collegiate approached the art department for a cartoonist an editorial cartoonist and Nobody could draw. <clears throat> you know, approached the entire student body. Nobody could draw, so I, yeah, I'll do it. I man, I, what a wonderful opportunity to, twenty years old to get in print. Yeah. You know, the first time to get something published. You know. What so, were you drawing? Mm-hmm. Just Editorial cartoons or whatever the current subject was, and uh, I won an award. It was an, it was a national contest, and I came in second nationally. Yeah. You know, of all the junior colleges. And um, after I quit the school, I still had to come over to me to get editorial cartoons done, you know. But I wasn't even a student anymore. So
0: You still making money doing that?
2: It wasn't very much money. It was enough money for me to get married on. But, uh, you know, I let it build up for a long, long time before I bothered with it. You know? So,
0: all right, so after that, where would you go next to, to well, continue I took Well,
2: the- I, I went out and got a job, and then I took extension courses. Uh, I'd married my wife, Suzanne, that i met at... Still City married? Club. Yeah, still married. Great, and it was hard getting a real good job. I got a job as a art director for Black Belt Karate magazine, and then at night I would take extension courses at Chenard's. Yeah, so I, and that I, was a big deal. That was a very big deal, history wise. Now, because all your major artists in Los Angeles, the older ones, all went to Chenard. Did you jive with that school? No. Why? Not at all. <clears throat> well, when I when I came out to California. And I was a pretty good draftsman, and I was so enthusiastic, so enthusiastic, ready to get into the arts. Yeah. And I had, you know, all my uh, influences were comic books and surrealism and B-movie posters and hot rod magazines and all this uh, second class uh, influences. And so I come out here, and lo and behold, it's right in the middle of the Abstract Expressionist period. Drawing was considered absolutely out of the question. Really, not even as,
0: as a groundwork. Not even you, know, you got to learn this first. No one thought that way.
2: They had drawing and painting classes, but it was contour drawing of quick studies of a nude model. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't. You had to knock that thing out pretty quick. You, know? right. you couldn't sit and nurse on this thing and get the shade tones right and whatnot. You couldn't work on muscle tone. You just quick impressions of right. a nude model. You know. <clears throat> So that's the closest thing they had to academic drawing. Now, their philosophy was that uh, the representational art was a cheat, and it uh, was it was a phony thing because you're trying to make uh, something look three dimensional and it's actually two dimensional. And the arts, the arts uh, after the Second World War, especially in the fifties and early sixties, was the art of truth and honesty. And you, art should reflect the honesty of the artist doing it and the impressions of the artist doing it. And if you you paint it, it should look like paint. Hmm. If you chiseled wood, it should show the marks of the chisel. If you welded a sculpture, it should show the burnt slag on it because that's the nature of it, see. Of course, completely disregarded that 550 years ago, oil paint was invented to be tight you know that's the nature of oil paint if you can do it yeah see. wood can be polished and show the grain that's also the nature of it yeah know. metal sculptures can be ground down and polished and sure. plated but they disregarded that now
0: <clears throat> did you think it was
2: bullshit no no because i was a young uh, student and i realized i had to discipline myself to things that i wasn't used to and i'd had to take this in say i had to but i still had this tendency to tighten up, and then I had other—I had contemporaries, friends that were in Otis and Chenards and UCLA that referred to me as the illustrator. Yeah, that I was going in the wrong direction. That I really would not be a painter because of my stuff's tight and it spoke of three dimensions. So that yeah, got I was hung on you. That got that, that, that hung on you back then.
0: Before you—well, even... it was
2: a slander. Right. It was a slander. Now, what they don't understand, and what they, I would have to explain to them if I could get them by the scrub of the neck and drag them through five decades to face me now, was not only was there length and depth and width, there was what would you call it? There was the element of time. So that's the fourth dimension. See, something moving in the picture, that's time. And if there's something that's it's abstractly created in it, that's a violation of physics, which is the fifth dimension. See? So, not, so not only am I cheating in one direction here, I'm cheating in three more directions with the ability to have the mental capability to, to search things out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Any one of your canvases—it definitely yeah. time travel. There's story. Yeah. There's uh, defying the well, physics. Abstraction.
2: There, there is a, a situation that exists in art schools, and I, I, I really support art schools, and I do support abstract expressionism, and there is no bad art. But if something does exist. It should be pointed out that, if you had a hundred artists, and three of them were technical masters and 97 of them could only pick their nose the art of the time would be picking your nose right. See. The, the the three masters would be totally disregarded <laughs> because they were uh, creating a problem for the 97 right there's a, right. there a graphic democracy an art democracy and I had I was facing that violation of that democracy when I was young because if I did real slick stuff as a kid in art school I was showing off, and I was trying to set the standards too high for the other young people that uh, had other inclinations. So
0: you were you were uh, an outsider on both counts. You were, you were creatively an outsider, but also technically I, I always threatening. In, I
2: always end up outside the situation. I always in violation of the right. St- Social situation that I function, in. I don't know what that is. is what
0: well, it's, it's like? It's the great spirit of fuck you. That might might be yeah.
2: That <laughs> immature. Uh, I don't know if it's immature contrariness that I have.
0: But 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 yeah. I, I don't know if it's immature. But I think that demark that democracy you're talking about only applies to maybe uh, that that education. Because once you get you know into the art business, it's, there's certainly no democracy at all. No, no. But no. like okay, so so I I'm seeing this these these two experiences when you first get out here, yeah, you know, and you go technical and you you get your shit together so you're a wizard technically and then you go to this you know sort of poetic of the time school i imagine this was the first building block of this sort of like well i can do anything you can do and i can do it better and i can integrate it And you you know go fuck yourself well let me (laughs) let me feign humility here it's not it's not that
2: i am such a great artist and so slick it's just that everyone else is so fucking bad (laughs) (laughs)
0: but but the intelligence of of you know what i think is your sense of humor which i appreciate deeply is that you know you can turn anything on its head and you can now do what you're satirizing so okay i have to contradict you here
2: what i do is not primarily humor it goes that one step beyond humor it's abstract thinking. It's, it it okay. has no punchline. Okay. It's not made to make you giggle. It's made to... blow your mind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's designed to, to, to realize that a situation here that's come from a mind that completely functions a lot more uh, um, investigatively and, um, and uh, off any um, logical, uh, practical Train tracks,
0: you know. right? No, <laughs> and, and you, but you have all these uh, the the intelligence and the skills in place to, to do it on several different levels yeah. within one canvas. Yeah, yeah. and you so you're blowing minds. up. I, I
2: appreciate you saying that. You're very generous with me.
0: So so after you get <laughs> out of that the the abstract expression mindfuck that you were you were you were then subject came, to, then
2: came pop art and uh, conceptualism. Right. You say, well, uh, pop art. You're getting, that's realism. Well, yeah, it's realism, but it's it's uh, it's um, um, art that's been appropriated. That's right. You, 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 a, can, you, you cannot yeah. step out of pop art and do something that's f- free thinking. It has to be something appropriated, It's right. a but reflection the, of the things around you.
0: But who? Def- but the people that define <laughs> whether that's popular or not is such a small group of people, and it's you know it's rooted in like two or three <laughs> well, intellectuals. It
2: The whole thing is made up of a failed artists. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but so where did you go after that way how did you get from uh, from there to uh to to big daddy roth and and well that I, of I
2: was a container uh, after being the um, art director for black belt magazine and not I, I lost that job and then i had to go get another job something art related and i ended up desperately taking a job as a container designer for Warehouser corporation and that was a, a, a junior executive job where I wore a suit and
0: tie. What does that mean, a warehouser container? Warehouser's is a,
2: one of the biggest container companies okay. in the world. They're forestry. have giant forestry and lumber and, and uh, cardboard boxes. So this was
0: like an engineering job almost?
2: Well, I had to make commercial boxes for products. You know, I, was just, I just designed boxes. And this yeah. was during my psychedelic period, so it didn't take them long to realize that I wasn't an executive stock.
0: So you were taking acid in so, designing boxes? Yeah, so they fired me.
2: <laughs> so then I fumbled around and by sheer divine providence uh, got a job with Ed Roth. I, I'd met him years late, years earlier at a car show. And then I went to the unemployment agency and they said, uh, we, we don't have anything for you. We have this one thing, but nobody will take the job. The conditions are not right. They're a little filthy down there. And I said, what is it? They says, well, it, uh, they're looking for an art director down at uh, Ed Big Daddy Ross. I said, give me the phone.
0: Yeah, and you knew him. You knew his
2: work uh, and yeah, you knew yeah. his uh, Oh, the yeah, I was, I was a big fan of him. I knew him. I'd made him at car shows. And I was a hot rodder, you know, yeah. and I went down there and talked to him. And he looked at my portfolio and he says, well, if, if I knew you were alive, I'd have hunted you
0: up. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was right so away. I,
2: yeah, I just got this incredible job with an enormous amount of money and then I could come and go and dress the way i wanted i just had deadlines to fill i was in charge of his advertising
0: well what was it like over there i mean when you said when you were in the <laughs> high rod so you could you could take a part car and put it back together and you know chop a car up you yeah. did that stuff yeah so what they were doing over there was like above and beyond right
2: yeah yeah but i could stand there and talk to them they weren't doing anything i didn't totally comprehend right right
0: <laughs> and you guys hit it off oh you. yeah 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 in and, and your job over yeah, there, was, yeah.
2: When he understood that at twelve years old, I had a thirty-four Ford Five, a coupe. You know, I mean, you were in, yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. Where did he come from? His father, he, he when he was born, he was living in uh, Beverly Hills, and yeah. his father was Mary Pixford chauffeur. Really, and his father was a German that belonged to the German Bund. Uh huh. And a real. Right-wing, strict German. And uh-huh. He hated driving Mary Pickford around because, on a couple of occasions, she she made him go pick up fertilizer in the limousine. You know. Huh. So Ed was an American kid that uh, from German parents. That uh, he, I think, he started out uh, as a doing winded design for Sears Roebuck, and he was a remarkable sign painter and interested in hot rods and. Huh.
0: I wonder if it, I wonder <clears throat> if like for some reason I wonder if the Eric von Stroheim character in Sunset Boulevard was based on his dad.
2: Well, there's a comparison there. there yeah. I, I think about that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, I think about that. It
0: just like struck me like immediately. Like, yeah, oh, huh?
2: Well, that's an impression I wanted to give you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's the guy. <laughs> you could see him in a chauffeur's uniform with jodhpurs and black boots and a cap
0: you know. and a chip on his shoulder.
2: Yeah, standing by as the doorman to the limousine. You know, right, standing right. there pissed off because he had to go get fertilizer and bring it back in a Rolls Royce or a Duesenberg right. or something.
0: Yeah, that's huge car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you were over there, what was your what was your prime what your jobs i mean what was the the title job
2: my my first responsibility was get out about six ads a month but then after besides that i designed t-shirts and decals and i worked helping work on the cars a little bit and i was just uh and since i was the only one there with a formal art education i was kind of a front man there when people come in and was talking about art and careers and stuff he'd always get me to
0: Oh yeah, go yeah. go do some PR.
2: I, 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 yeah, I had the uh, human
0: research. I had the vocabulary. And yeah,
2: I, no one's going to snow me, you know. So.
0: And it was a scene over there, right?
2: It was a remarkable scene. A remarkable scene. A gypsy carnival scene. <clears throat> There's people coming in and out all day. There'd be movie stars and rock stars and just to bikers hang out? and police and the FBI and beautiful chicks and it's just it's just like he would go out of town on uh um, touring with a every year he'd make a new car a show car uh-huh. and then he would go on the circuit <clears throat> like a carnival and then i would stay there and work with the crew did, did t-shirts and stuff and when he'd come back he'd have all these followers come back you know so he, they, had, he had picked a, up over the united states he'd have all these hanger owners charismatic guy yeah, and then they'd come in with some good looking gal you know and then three weeks everybody had worked
0: there had gonorrhea you know <laughs>
2: it was it was it was beyond colorful you know um,
0: it, but it was like the hollywood elite like dug it and they, yeah, they would come you know, down the rock and, world dug it yeah. you
2: know and the car world was in the middle of the car and motorcycle world and
0: now what'd just, you learn from him like in terms of how it influenced you know how you moved through because obviously cartooning was and he had a very specific well, I gained, style
2: i gained confidence mm-hmm. i, I, I I couldn't be snowed anymore by the art world. I had confidence, you know, and I—I I, uh, was the first artist Ed allowed me to sign my name to the works. Mm-hmm. So I started getting a following, you know, and so um, I learned to, to do T-shirts. And I really learned how to do black and white with with not a pen but with a brush, like a real cartoonist, you mm-hmm. know, a real comic book artist. And then <clears throat> I—I I'd, I'd met Stanley Mouse. Who's Ed's competitor, a car shirt designer at car shows, but Stanley Mouse had give up the car show circuit, and he went up to San Francisco, and he became one of the founders of the psychedelic poster movement. One of the what's yeah, called the, the Big yeah. Five,
0: right? You know, who are but they? He, That's Griffin and
2: Mouse Rick, say Rick Griffin, Mouse Kelly, Wes Wilson, and Victor Moscoso. Those were the Big Five that got into Life magazine in '66
0: that was a big article that wasn't. was a
2: big article before we get they, up to san
0: francisco what happened to, to big daddy roth what ultimately happened to that empire
2: that's that's a whole show in itself that's oh, a yeah? couple hours yeah he uh, he was the one that championed outlaw motorcycles he was the first professional person there, there, there's choppers. always been well they, they used to be called fat bobs mm-hmm. before choppers and then they got to be called choppers and they were because of the motorcycle gangs. they were they were really despised by society and the hot rod world didn't want anything to do with them. I mean, he he got involved with these guys.
0: Like the Angels?
2: Well, of, of, I don't want to go into names here. Right. I don't want any retribution right. here. But okay. he got involved with a lot of really brutal bikers. And uh, he, he promoted, uh, he, he come up with the first Outlaw Biker magazine, you know, and he really promoted it. And he had a lot of trouble with them. And uh, the IRS and the FBI moved in on him because they th- thought he was involved with these biker gangs and they were under the impression that he had like some ruling control and they, they just enacted what's called the rico act right. the gangster of, uh, racketeering act. so they thought he was a kingpin <laughs> yeah so they moved in the irs just went just went right up his ass and then the fbi was on him all the time and um the, the IRS found out that he, he was maybe a fumbling in his books, but he was more honest than anybody. He, he was really a patriot, really real loved America, you know, yeah. so he, he wouldn't cheat. In fact, any dealings I ever had with him or see any dealings I'd ever seen with anyone, everyone always got the best of him, you
0: know. Right, because he, he, he was a fair
2: guy. He was a very sweet and honest guy. <clears throat> but... Um, Anyway, uh, where was I going to so go? So they crushed him. Yeah, they they, they eventually crushed him. And uh, I had that job as art director for five years. And his wife left him and it broke him. And then he... he, he Finally got a job at Knott's Berry Farm as a sign painter. He was really down yes. on his luck and a low ebb. And then fortunately, nostalgia came and picked him right back up again.
0: Oh, yeah. The Rat Think, uh, yeah. the resurgence of Rat Fink. Yeah. And what, what about Von Dutch? We didn't talk about him at all. He seemed to be a... Uh, well,
2: Von Dutch was very intelligent. Very intelligent. Uh, enormously talented. Very imaginative. But he was extremely right wing, ex- right wing to a fault.
0: It's uh-huh. <laughs> a nice way to say uh, a lot of things. Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, he was one of my childhood heroes. You know. Really? Yeah. From
0: for, the, you know, for Well, I
2: remember seeing him in magazines, fifty three, fifty four. You know, he sort of started pinstriping as a hot uh-huh. rod affectation, and he brought back flames from the thirties. You know, and he's uh, very imaginative guy. I Could really relate to him until and then. I got to know him. And then people warned me about him. They says, well, you know, watch out for him because he he goes crazy. And I got to be good friends with him. And, you know, we'd stay up till the sun comes up drinking beer and got along real well. And then one day he turned on me and threatened to kill me, you know. And so... Um, they were right watch out for him he was mentally ill right (laughs) he was mentally
0: ill well you know that happens if you live in the world of artists you're going to meet a few mentally ill people well he would he would go into a biker bar he he reacted to people
2: violently and uh, he'd go into a biker bar full of bikers and he'd get up on the bar stand up on the bar and call them down for their costumes oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) so he had a death wish yeah, yeah, you know, because he preceded these guys in the motorcycle world and he saw them all as uh, pretenders, you know. And mm-hmm. they'd pull him off the bar and beat the hell out of him. And so.
0: That's how he lived. You know,
2: I was, I was talking to w- one of the big biker chiefs and I said, uh, Have you seen Dutch recently? And he says, Yeah, I saw him about two weeks ago. Someone took a primary chain to him, and beat his ass. And I'm pitching.
0: Pitching, yeah. <laughs> man. You know. so, but what did, did you learn from him? Did you learn technique from him?
2: Not really. He uh, just he appreciated no, he, what he, he did. He had an admiration for me. Mm-hmm. He, he really didn't know how to paint. Mm-hmm. He could, he never got past using one shot, and you can't blend one shot. Mm-hmm. Say, and so he thought I was pretty slick. What's one I shot? Could, one shot is an enamel paint for pinstriping. Okay. And the, the pigments are so dense in them they don't blend. You can't right. blend them. Right. Say, but he tried and made messes. But he he had a, an appreciation for my painting skills. Oh yeah. He said, he said that. Uh, that uh, Dolly that uh, what did he say that uh, I I paint like Dolly tries to paint you know I was Ah. kind of him but uh, he had some he had some awful ugly things to say about me he said uh, I was the boringest person he ever met in his life (laughs) (laughs) he was a chronic alcoholic and I mean chronic the first thing in the morning he started drinking beer he went to bed for years and years and it finally finally got him in the liver it was killing him yeah did and you, then he was getting bitter more he it wasn't like he wasn't bitter in the first place but yeah. he got like chronically bitter. About what? So, well, about life in general and the races and yeah. you know he's just uh, a very negative person. But on the other hand he had this bohemian presentation. He was good good friends with Lord Buckley at one time and and uh, it's kind of kind of a contradiction in life, you know. <clears throat> but when he saw his end was near he wrote this last testimony on a piece of paper and it run down the races and just how he's glad to get out of this world and all this you know? so it's and he a racist manifesto yeah it was a racist yeah. manifesto and he said that um, he said that um, uh, we fought the wrong we're on the wrong side in the second world war and what not then he ended the letter by saying Heil Hitler you know and then <clears throat> Uh, the guy that was taking care of him, Jim Brucker, I guess he got that letter to the Hells Angels, and then and then it got Xeroxed, and that letter got all over everywhere. And then this company comes along, and they start selling Von Dutch apparel. And I'm thinking, well, my goodness, when, you know, I saw blacks wearing them on television and all yeah. this stuff. And I thought, what man? When is this that letter going to surface? You know, this this is. <laughs> did it this letter going to surface? Never did. 10 years it took for that letter to service and it was in the la times verbatim and it just killed this big company just killed this clothing company did it so the they couldn't find a spokesman to defend him and uh, to keep coming to me you know the la times and television stations and new york times all these people come back to me you know here's a guy's gonna kill me so I had to explain to him, well, he was mentally ill, and, you know, he was my childhood hero, And but, uh, you know, he, he affected an entire generation, and he was a wonderful influence for a lot of people, but he was quite the bigot and mentally ill, you know, so.
0: So you put him in context.
2: Yeah, I tried. To put, I tried. Uh-huh. I don't know if I did. I tried. Yeah. You know, but uh, I found myself being... Associated with him, which I didn't really want to do, you know. But uh, no one else would come to his defense, and people that would come to his defense that weren't articulate.
0: You know? Right. He sounds like you handled it diplomatically and correctly. Well, that's a past chapter now. So when you left town, so this was after Big Daddy Roth. You go to San Francisco, and no, well,
2: no, I I never lived in San Francisco. I had property up in Marin County. Uh-huh you still got it no no i sold a long time ago i had property up there and i was up there a lot i spent a lot of time up there. hanging out yeah yeah
0: so and, and where'd you meet like uh escoy wilson and chrome well, and those cats i love it I met, wilson. I
2: met i met these guys through gilbert shelton uh-huh. now gilbert shelton gilbert shelton was doing car art back in the 60s through a, 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 fella, a publisher named Pete Millar that did a magazine called Drag Cartoons and Pete Millar liked Gilbert Shelton's um, Wonder Warthog and they did a couple of Wonder Warthog books about hot rods and so uh, <clears throat> I was dealing with the mint to get some of my paintings published and I'd seen this Zap comic and it just really blew me away and I asked for some pages and then they handed hand this over to Gilbert and Gilbert talked to Crumb and I got a letter from Gilberts inviting me in to get pages and Zap.
0: So this was So that's how it 69. worked. It worked with, It was pages. You were uh, allotted pages. <clears throat> yeah,
2: uh, yeah. Well, they were very democratic about it. I, I become one of the seven owners of Zap. Uh huh. But um, still, yeah, is it? yeah. Um, <clears throat> the thing is, there was I was probably the eighth or tenth underground artist underground cartoonist, comic book artists in the United States then, mm-hmm. see. Yeah. And it was later that thousands and thousands of people jumped on the Isn't it interesting how, how
0: intimate the landscape was mm-hmm. media-wise where...
2: Well, we were drawn together because we were sure. all just, you know, we were fuck-offs. We used to read EC Comics and, you know, and like carnival art. And yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were a rare breed, very rare bunch of people. And we just immediately gravitated toward each other because we were... We were just uh, not socially worth much. And you were defining
0: uh, a medium whether you knew it or not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what was Clay S. Clay Wilson like at that time?
2: Very much like his cartoons. Yeah. Very, very much like <laughs> his cartoons. A pirate? Bikes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <clears throat>
0: he rode bikes. Did you? Were you riding bikes at that time?
2: I, I went through a period of motorcycle riding in the late 50s and had some r- bad accidents. And I saw hey, them. Yeah. Uh, the liability in uh-huh. that and had a, f- a number of friends killed and maimed on motorcycles and i love motorcycles i just have the good judgment to stay off of them uh, and you and
0: clay who were you close with in that crew all of them oh yeah you yeah, all, you all just close hung out with all of them. was there a, a community in the early zap comics where you and crime in spain and clay and the, the other guys i guess griffin who was the uh, who were the seven
2: uh, Victor Moscoso and, and Gilbert Shelton.
0: Did you guys sit in a room yes. and talk about what you wanted to do? Yes. What was the agenda? Well,
2: no, <clears throat> there was no agenda for the whole comic. We yeah. sit in a room and do jams. Okay. Pass a piece of paper around, get drunk, and have ladies around and uh-huh. party up in the uh-huh. hills there and have a lot of fun. You know.
0: Did you do jam? Where you just add to the piece of uh, art going around? Yeah. And you'd sort of collectively create this yeah. thing. You yeah. got any of those? No, no. Those are th- those ended up in the
2: hands of very wealthy collectors. Oh, so they're around, though. Yeah, Moscoso t- took care of those, and I think they
0: sold them out to very wealthy collectors. Oh, when did we get to see those? Are they in books? Well, they're, in, the, they're in all the Zaps. Each Zap had a jam in it. How long, so you stayed with Zap the whole time. How many, how well, many issues I, were well, there? I,
2: 12, well, or? the last one that, that's in this book here is six, Zap 16, and then, then Crumb did an extra one, which makes it 17 issues.
0: You still in touch with him? I talked to him about a year ago. And Clay's not doing mm. great. No, he's
2: not doing good. Alcoholism caught up with him. And then, uh, you know, Rick Griffin died in a motorcycle accident in 81, and then Spain died two years ago from cancer. And
0: so it was. Uh, People are going. And yeah, now you got old this. We're
2: turds now, you know.
0: <laughs> we're old people. So after, okay. So after the zap, you know, residency, you've been painting all the way through. All the way through, and hopelessly. And, yeah. In nineteen, nineteen
2: seventy, when Ed went out of business, multi multimillionaire car collector came in and bought all of Ed's cars and bought all the original Roth artwork and then got interested in the artist that did the artwork and saw my paintings and then he for. Uh, he bought all my paintings an enormous sum at that time enormous sum it kept me going for years so i could i couldn't get a show with that kind of art and how many paintings mm, six or eight Uh
0: uh-huh
2: and i couldn't i couldn't get a show and i couldn't get in a gallery and sure couldn't get in an art magazine and i just struggled along and struggled along selling paintings and um then um punk rock movement come along and i got started doing i started licensing my paintings to punk rock groups so then i built a whole new underground audience they so had the zap comic audience and the roth audience and then i started getting a little bit of the punk rock audience uh-huh. too. So who so were the
0: guys way? who were doing that with
2: you you have to remember the the, the, the art world didn't have big audiences like this you know? right. they just had uh Kind of that they hope to gather but um I was so there's the late this 70s giant fandom yeah late 70s
1: yeah so in, got- or
2: and 80s and so um uh, when once I got in with the punk rock artist you know uh, I had a peer group and
0: um, who were they Gary Gar- Gary
2: panner yeah. and savage pencil there was a whole slew of them but, uh, and they
0: all looked up <laughs> to you I imagine
2: yes and yeah. because of the zap thing right sure. because of the zap thing uh-huh They weren't necessarily tight artists, but I sloppied it up to get in with them. So So, uh, through that world, then I could get shows, at at these real marginal punk rock galleries. And then I just haven't sold out shows. So that got me to bigger galleries, to bigger galleries. And finally, I ended up in... uh, <clears throat> in the '90s, with Tony Schiavazzi, uh, that that's was, when, I that, when I that was. It was like the second, third biggest gallery in the world at that time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. An,
0: it was a great show. I sort of coveted the, the what do you call it? The car, the the sock monkey, the
2: invitation, the invitation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
0: I and I, I I loved that thing. And I and I think that's when I got the first book. What we didn't mention was that the album cover for Guns N' Roses, The Appetite of Destruction, <laughs> which I imagine they took the title of the album from your painting, right. And that became, like, that. I, I think if people listening to this who, who don't know your work, I'm sure they've already gone to their computers to check it out, but that was a, a big piece because of how many people mm-hmm. got that record.
2: Well, that was, a, yeah, that was, a, there were four paintings done that were called Super Cartoons, and that was one of the four paintings. And uh-huh. uh, Axel Rose ran across it somewhere and wanted to use it for an album cover. And, and that, was a, that was good exposure, though, right? It was great exposure. It was a, it was a really... Uh, I, I had to defend it, and I explained to them to, to pick something else when they wanted to cover. And I said, "This is going to, this is going to be very problematic because I, I culturally. I, I, I understand. I I understand because I've been in underground comics and I know what uh, problems are going to occur. And you knew that was going to happen. Yeah, I knew exactly. In fact, I told them exactly what the order was that things were going to happen. Well, I says, well your first problem is you're not going to be able to get this through the Canadian border. The second problem is going to be. Uh, it's going to be church groups, and the third problem is going to be family, and uh, for that cover, yeah, for that cover. I told them the order of things are going to fall, and it they all did. And I said, then the feminists, the feminists are going to get on you interior tear you to pieces. And they're all just like I said.
0: You know. And you've dealt with that your whole career, yeah. And and your re, your response has basically been, you know, it's, it's my imagination. Fuck you.
2: <clears throat> well, <clears throat> when we were doing underground comics, there was a point about sixty about about 70 about 1970 that it looked like if the during the vietnam war if the country went more right-wing they were going to start rounding up discipline you know, dissidents yeah, like, yeah. people that were contrary to the actions of the government and our names were listed with the fbi sure. you know, we, we we understood that if they start rounding up distance they're gonna hit zap comics right you know sure so uh, but fortunately, the country got liberal there all of a sudden about the Vietnam War, and we just come out of this thing smelling like a rose. But on the other hand, all over the United States, about 400 news dealers did go to jail over selling Zap comics. So we bear we bear that burden and guilt and responsibility for these poor people who had to go to jail selling our comic books. You know, we don't just take that for granted. So I was seasoned, already seasoned, to know the responsibilities and the, the discomforts and situations that these comics created so when i got time to these guys use this painting uh, on guns and roses I, I knew exactly what was going to happen interesting. the painting was never intended for general public it was intended for a, a special in, a audience a small audience that had investigative skills that would enjoy something like that
0: well it's, it's interesting to me that even you know after so many years like i mean the the fight you know during zap where you guys knew you were provoking and it was necessary at the time yeah. to define that, that territory, yeah. aesthetically, mentally, and culturally. Well, we had an ax grind.
2: We had an old ax to grind, all of us, because then when, they, when they outlawed the really good comic books in the early 50s it, uh, because of Dr. Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent book, that they got rid of all the real good comic books in a Senate hearing. You know, and all of a sudden… Purian
0: interest? Was that the argument?
2: Well, I said it was causing juvenile delinquency. Mm-hmm. they said there was too much violence in the comics and sexual luridness and mm-hmm. it was it, it, this was causing uh, a whole generation of young people and which comics were these
0: the EC or the Fred Gaines EC, e.
2: it was primarily the EC yeah. comics that just about killed them except for mad we, we had that, <clears throat> that revenge to issue out to the American world, it's like you, you think those comic books are bad, you ain't seen <laughs> nothing yet you ain't seen <laughs> nothing
0: <clears throat> so. and you continued that aesthetic <laughs>
2: Well, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm uh, a liberal person, a free thinker, you know. Yeah. I'm not necessarily a leftist, but I am extremely liberal, enormously liberal. You know? And do you still get uh, do you still get flack? Nah, not anymore. No, we're, we have changed the world. We were part and parcel responsible for changing the world. We changed movies, television. That zap had an enormous effect on the world that people don't realize. They just don't understand what well,
0: well, it sort of started that ball rolling. I mean, yeah. I was thinking about coming over there today when I did a little reading about, about some of uh, your history, and I was like, well, look at this now. It's almost like, you know, there was a completely, we live in a completely... Porno, pornified That's right. state. That's right, And yeah. we're surviving. Yeah. And it's good mental health,
2: you know. If you don't it's get too deep. Yeah.
0: yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, if you limit your, your, your yeah. masturbation to, yeah. to a reasonable amount of time yeah. per week. <laughs> no, no. Do you think there is any repercussions? Any negative downside no, I, to there's, it? there's
2: certainly a small percentage, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, there's people that uh, are just hostile anyway. Right, right. Do you feel vindicated? <laughs> uh yeah yeah Uh, when I was doing the punk rock art I got a big following with tattoo artists skateboard artists surf artists surf world so uh, I was getting a lot of write ups and rock and roll magazines and stuff getting an enormous amount of press you know and and stuff you'd never get in the art world the art world's a very limited world boring universe so i was talking to this gal at uh one of these tattoo magazines i says you know you're you you, we got to do a whole magazine of just this kind of art you know so she called you know i what i explained to her was that there were some magazines out in france in the 20s and 30s for the surrealists that were really interesting you know maybe it's time to do something like that now not not like the boring art magazines that are on the stands now you know but some really interesting stuff like uh there used to be a magazine called minotaur and the surrealist revolution and stuff back in the 20s and 30s and i told her about that and she called me back two weeks later she says well I've, I've got that magazine i said what do you mean she says well i talked to my publisher and we, we did that magazine so they did it and um I f- I was the conduit that fed in the artists for the, the magazine because I knew all the underground artists. Name of the magazine was Art Alternatives, and it did really really well. I, I bought that magazine. I think I had the first one. <clears throat> did really really well. Yeah. And then they fired the girl. So I guess the publisher was under the impression that we, we can just get any crazy shit in here and it'll sell, you know. <clears throat> so anyway, it didn't do well at all after that, it, and so uh, I was talking to Greg Escalani and my wife Suzanne and whatnot about well maybe we should find an underwriter and buy that title. Put it back on the stands. Yeah. So I tried to uh, I went to Timothy Lurie to see if he could get me an audience with uh, uh, Larry Flint and that, that didn't work out. And I tried a couple of other connections I couldn't do any good. Then Greg Escalani reminded me that uh, I'd, I'd done two covers for Thrasher and maybe I ought to try to get a hold of uh, Fausto Attila up in San Francisco and so called him and told him we would like to start a magazine and uh, we want to buy this title uh, Art Alternatives that went down the drain and so we tried to buy that title and they, they would not sell it see. so I said well I'll, I'll come up with a title and I wrote a list of 120 titles so they took about 10 of those titles and took them to a lawyer to have them cl- see if they were clean and they picked juxtapose. <clears throat> so juxtapose came out in the winter of nineteen ninety four with twenty-three thousand issues and it did remarkably well. It was in the black immediately. So it just did great. <clears throat> and I was feeding the artist in there and you know supplying them artists and whatnot. So then it's <clears throat> it was it was quarterly. So then the next issue came out and it was great. It sold, this it thing was just selling like crazy. And not only was it selling really good, <clears throat> but it had one of the largest sell-throughs of a magazine. Now a sell-through mm-hmm. is if you if print 100 magazines, if you, uh, you, you, 35 of them will end up in the hands of people and the, the, 65 will go in the recyclables. That's yeah. the way magazines are. Well, juxtapose. The distributors immediately realized this thing had like sixty-five, seventy percent of sell-through. It was just unheard of. Yeah. <clears throat> so then the print rate, the print runs went way up, and after a couple of years, it went from quarterly to bimonthly monthly and then later monthly. And this uh, first thing we noticed, well, the thing outsold our forum. So Sweet. <clears throat> And then a little, little while goes by, a year or two goes by, and it outsells uh, um, Art in America. You know? <laughs> yeah. Time goes by, and it art sells Art News. And we discover, well, this is the top-selling art magazine in the world we've got here, you know. And so, <clears throat> originally, <clears throat> no art school would allow it in the class, you know. Now it's in every art school. So, if I, if, I guess if I have a legacy, maybe that's it. Now that that isn't, you know, that helped a lot of artists. And there's a a handful of artists that came out of juxtapos that are now millionaires see? now the, i guess i would take that as a legacy but i think my legacy that i would want was what i do in paintings you know mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the, the the fact that uh, uh, they said in the 80s that painting was dead well painting hadn't, hadn't even started painting hadn't even started because it's such a narrow-minded period of time the, the conceptualists just really tried to get rid of painting completely, and so uh, the the area of imagination, the playing field for art, is so gigantic that no one's really in, really explored it. You know, and th- that would be the legacy I'd want to leave: is uh, the exploration of what imagination can lead to, and how it would compound itself and become exponential mm-hmm. In other words what my generation does i'd like to see another younger generation come and step on that and make that go one step further into wild abstraction you know to into the just compound the poetry mm-hmm. make it
0: lyrically remarkable well i'll tell you you know you can stand in front of almost any one of your canvases for at least you could really spend at least two hours trying to work that shit out trying to make it not even it's not about making sense but it's about taking a journey you know what i'm saying
2: yeah <laughs> well i appreciate you saying that that's it keeps. it's hard for me to keep a straight face with such a wonderful remark <clears throat> but now i'm right here i'm showing at uh, uh barnsdale park at the los angeles municipal museum <clears throat> and i came here originally in 1964 to see a salvador Dali show ah, yeah and i told all my f- contemporaries my fellow students fellow artists there's a dolly show up there at barnesdale park and none of them would go they were not interested it had nothing to do with abstract expressionism it was just that old phony realism you know so the of all the places i've shown to come back here and have an art show here you know it's just it's such an honor and such a, a fulfillment you know yeah so uh, if i fall over dead tomorrow i'll be looking good you know?
0: thank you robert williams it's a beautiful mm-hmm. way to end so that's it that's the show I hope you enjoyed that I, I did the best I could I think we got comfortable I think things started uh, to get comfortable with me and Robert eventually there and uh, I, I'm just fascinated with his work go check out his work uh, by all means respect so what else go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs the new tour dates will be up there there's some pre-sales I told you about earlier you should be able to get in on that Oh you 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 Oh
2: you Oh 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 Boomer Lives!